thank you for checking out the Travel Nuggets podcast. I'm your host, Christine Goss. When it comes to travel, the best ideas don't come from guidebooks, travel sites, or Google. They come from other travel junkies. Travel junkies are filled with interesting nuggets of information and ideas for your next adventure, once you get them talking. And that's what the Travel Nuggets podcast does. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Music Play. And to learn more information about the tips shared on this podcast, visit us online at travelnuggetspodcast.squarespace.com or join our Facebook community. To share feedback or suggest a topic or guest, send me an email at travelnuggetspodcast.gmail.com. Now, let's get to today's episode. This Christmas, I had a ton of friends get engaged. And given that I have this podcast and I love to travel, I've been getting a lot of questions uh, about where people should go um, for their honeymoon, what, what destinations. And that's always hard to answer because it's so personal. And today I have a guest on who recently took a honeymoon to Bogota. And that kind of popped out as unique, a unique pick. So um, Amanda Kiefer is here to join us and tell us more about Bogota. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Christine. Great. Well, so let's just start from the beginning. Why did you pick Bogota for your honeymoon? So when my now husband, then fiance, and I sat down and started talking about honeymoons, both of us have traveled before. Um, I traveled a lot as a kid with my family, and he was a missionary kid, so he grew up overseas. And we both wanted to do something um, that was new for both of us. Uh, and we wanted like a good mixture of adventure and relaxation. And neither of us are really into the kind of traditional Costa Rica, Bahama beach sort of honeymoon. And when it came down to actually choosing one, it really just came down to like flight costs. So we looked at our list and about six months out from when we were going to actually leave. And um, going to some place like Vietnam, where, you know, you're crossing the international dateline, the flights are like 20 hours long, and there's some, like, two, $3,000 flight tickets a person. Um, and we didn't want to blow our entire honeymoon budget on the flights. So um, we kind of whittled down our list, and Colombia had um, relatively affordable flight tickets. I think they were still about $1,000 a piece, but it wasn't our full honeymoon budget. Um, and it was within, like, we didn't really have to change time zones. Bogota is in the mountain time zone. So it's pretty much like if you were going to Colorado, it's the same kind of time zone. So we weren't going to have any massive jet lag. Or so we thought that we ended up having jet lag anyway for other reasons. But those were kind of the, the things that went into choosing um, Bogota. On top of that, both of us um, studied Spanish in undergrad. I minored in it. And then um, we met in Guatemala. So we wanted a chance to practice our Spanish and kind of reignite our enjoyment of those Latin American cultures. Great. Well, so set the scene for us. What, you know, paint a picture. What does Bogota look like? Um, Bogota. So Bogota is the capital of Colombia. And I think the one of the the two main factors I think that would really describe Bogota is that one, it's in the mountains. Um, so it's got lots of really green mountain scapes. The city itself is actually in the mountains. It's not like in a valley and I wouldn't say it's on top of a mountain either, but it's just kind of in a, a big range. So everything around it is very mountainous. Um, and everything's very green and lush, which is really nice. I enjoyed that a lot. 
Um, so you definitely feel like you're getting a good dose of nature, even though you're in a big city. And I would say that Bogota is a big city. I believe the population is about 8 million people. Yes. So um, not as big as like New York City, but it's definitely way bigger than where I grew up at home in the States. So it's very much um, growing. It's becoming more modern. Um, I would say it's more modern than the places I visited in like Guatemala or um, or Cuba or even some of the like touristy places in Mexico. Um, it's definitely got like major highways. They've got public transportation. Um lots of like public universities in the middle of downtown Columbia, but it's still very much like a developing country. So you still see a lot of like food, like street vendors, um, a lot of, well, I would say a lot of homelessness, but there was homelessness that you could definitely visibly see. Um, Buildings are still um, a little ramshackle, (laughs) kind of depending on where you're at. Some of the districts in Columbia, or I mean in Bogota, excuse me, are very modern. So like if you're downtown, in like the business district, it's lots of international hotels and like international, like multinational businesses and major highways. Whereas like we stayed in a different area of Bogota, La Soledad is a little quieter neighborhood, but it still had some major highways, but it was a lot more of that um, developing country feel where you have um, you know, exposed electrical wiring or like you don't, <laughs> or like when you're looking for restaurants, the signs aren't as obvious. So you have to kind of like see lots of little hole in the wall restaurants or things like that. So it's kind of a good mix of like what you might expect stereotypically of going to like a developing country and a modern developing, like thriving country that's really growing and coming into the 21st century. Well, I was reading more about La Soledad, which is the neighborhood you stayed in. Mm-hmm. and it is getting more and more popular as a place to live, I guess. Mm-hmm. It sort of has been, um, had a rough a rough go with FARC and other violence in, um, in the country and in the city. And it's having a rebirth, I guess. And it's pretty trendy now. Uh, I was reading that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of eclectic restaurants or I guess international, Greek, Italian, um, they said Latin. Yeah. And, and um, there's a theater and you see working professionals. So it's really becoming um, just hip, I guess you could say. <laughs> would you agree with that? Yeah, I think I would. That was one of the things we kind of noticed. We didn't research the neighborhood before we got there. We ended up in the neighborhood because the hotel we chose was there. Um, we didn't want to stay at an international hotel. We wanted something a little more local. So the hotel we stayed at was Hotel Eco Boutique, which I would, I would say is like a three or four star hotel by like Colombian standards. So um, not as luxurious as like an American international hotel, but definitely comfortable. Um, and the neighborhood it was in was very walkable. There were lots of like small parks all over the place. And one of the things that I we both noticed was that there were a lot of um, business buildings that were like renting um, office space. You could see lots of people like walking to work in their suits. Um, But you also saw a lot of people just in like regular street clothes um, out and about. Um, And it was, we were a couple blocks away from one of the major roadways. So our neighborhood was quiet, but if you went over a couple blocks to where some of the restaurants were, it was a pretty busy busy roadway with lots of motorcycles and small cars um, and even the occasional like I wouldn't say semi-trucks I don't you don't see a lot of that outside of the states as far as I can tell but like big like trucks that like bring food to restaurants and things okay Um, so it definitely seems to be a growing area um 
And when we spoke to some of the locals as well, um, they, they seemed to have this, um, because like we came into it, you mentioned the FARC thinking, you know, every time we talked about that we were going to Colombia to someone, they'd be like, oh my, like Colombians and drugs and Escobar and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you yeah. know, that kind of a thing. Like that seems to be the American picture of Colombia. But when we got there, like none of that was really a thing. And we, we talked to some of the locals and they just kind of giggled and laughed at us that we thought that's what Colombia was like now because they said most of those problems have been cleaned up. Um, and a lot of them, like that's not really as big of an issue anymore. The the national police have done a really good job of cleaning up crime in Colombia. So, yeah, it's yeah. still a developing country, but it's a lot safer than it used to be 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, you were saying it's pretty safe to walk around both in La Soledad and throughout the city. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, every city has rough neighborhoods, but would you also, can you get by with English or do you think you have to have a solid uh, understanding of Spanish to be able to get around? I would say you probably need a solid understanding of Spanish. We did not encounter anybody. Well, I don't want to say anybody. We met maybe like one or two um, like foreigners that spoke English. But pretty much everyone we spoke to there um, that we ran into either at restaurants or on the street or at hotels or museums only spoke Spanish. Um, So I would say you, you do need some understanding of Spanish. You don't have to be fluent. Neither of us are fluent. Um, both of us have very broken Spanish. He's, my husband, uh, is more conversational than I am. I'm better at like reading signs and things like that. So we kind of tag teamed our Spanish together, um, which was really helpful. A couple people can understand, like we had a taxi driver at one point who drove a lot of tourists so he could pick up. English words here and there whenever we weren't quite sure what the Spanish was but I'd say you need some Spanish um, or at least bring like a good like translation app or dictionary with you. Yeah, that's a good tip. So, you know, let's go back to the the mountainous nature uh, or landscape of Bogota. It is 100, um, 100 feet above sea level. And you had mentioned, and I watched a, a couple videos um, on tours saying that they experienced altitude sickness. Did you experience that? Um, I, well, I did not experience altitude sickness until we went um up to Monserrate, which is the main mountain in the middle of Bogota. Um, the city itself, um, it's definitely above sea level. And if you're not used to being above sea level, um, I definitely recommend staying hydrated. Um, but I didn't have any real issues with that. I did <laughs> I did get a cold from flying, so that may was put a damper on things. But and then my husband, he grew up in Colorado. So he grew up in the Rocky Mountains, like 7,500 feet above sea level. So he didn't have any issues. But when I did go, when we went up to Monserrate, which is the like main mountain in the middle of Bogota, and we went up there, I experienced a little lightheadedness. Um, so okay. definitely if you plan doing like any hiking in the mountainous areas, or if you go up Monserrate, um, which is a, a big tourist spot as well, um, definitely take that into account and you want to stay hydrated so let's talk about Monserrate because it really is a centerpiece of this city Mm -hmm. Um, it is in the Colombian Andes so the very top of the Andes mountain range and Mm -hmm. it is as you said it's a a huge tourist destination and it's a place that many pilgrims go to um, meaning religious um, 
I guess you could call them religious tourists, but um, yeah. <laughs> people who are um, who are interested in seeing the chapel there. Could you tell us about Monserrate? Yeah, so uh, we we probably should have done more research before we actually went on this trip. My my husband was supposed to plan the trip, and so he's not like much of the planning sort. So he pretty much picked everything we were going to do right before we left on the plane. But we, so we didn't realize how big of a tourist thing Monserrate was until we got there. Um, but it's it's a, in a different neighborhood than La Soledad. I think it's, if I recall correctly, it's further past La Candelaria. Um, and it's its own, it's basically its own like neighborhood district area. Um, and when you start getting closer to it, it's a lot more, um, uphill walking on the streets and the streets are much more cobblestone um, based except for the main highway that actually like goes up to the mountain and the buildings are a little less modern and more um, old older um, and when you get up to Monserrate they have at the base of the mountain um, kind of like you know like a ticket stand where you go and you get your tickets to go up they have three options for getting up to the top you can hike, you can take a cable car, or you can take the funicular. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I'd never heard of a funicular <laughs> before I went there. But apparently, a funicular is a particular kind of train, more or less. Like So it, it functions on like a train track, but it's built specifically for going up mountains because traditional trains can't do more than like a few degrees of incline. So this particular form of train is built for going up mountains. And I am very afraid of heights. So this trip, this particular part of the trip was a bit intimidating for me. We had wanted to hike the mountain because that's what a lot of people like to do. It's good exercise. Um, I think it only takes about an hour and a half to hike it um, up the like traditional path. But um, I, was, I was sick that day and it was raining. So we decided to take um, the funicular up and then we took the cable car back down. Um, I would definitely say if you're afraid of heights, um, either take like, some Dramamine or bring a buddy that you can hold their hand because both the funicular and the cable car are almost entirely like glass windows and some metal mm -hmm. bars and things. Um, <laughs> and they really pack them tight and you don't sit, you stand the whole way. Okay. So <laughs> that can be a little terrifying, but it was a lot of fun. It's not a very long trip up to the top. I think each direction was maybe like 10 minutes tops um but you go up to the top and I would definitely say Monserrate has the best views in Bogota um when we first got up there it was really cloudy and you're above you're actually like in and above the clouds so you you can really like see them covering the city and feel them around you um when you arrive you arrive at like this little basically a cable car station and you still have to walk a little ways to get up to the top where the chapel is um but they have this like garden path that's got like a cobblestone pathway and then garden and some statues in the way and they have some um like music speakers that play music and they have the seven stations of the cross outlined so you you follow the seven stations of the cross to get up to the chapel so i think a lot of the pilgrims go so they can do like the seven stations of cross and pray and then when you get up to the chapel i'm not really sure if i should call it a chapel or a cathedral because it, it's big enough that like it can house i think a couple hundred people but it's not huge um 
they did have mass while we were there. It was in Spanish. Um, so we did attend a service um, and walked around a little bit. Uh, it was a really beautiful service, even though we couldn't understand more than about 30% of it. Um, they have a lot of like really nice decorations and, um, you know, like religious icons around the, the chapel. Um, and then outside of the chapel is definitely like the tourist zone. It's kind of funny for me, like seeing the juxtaposition of like a religious pilgrimage spot and then like like a tourist place where you, it's like all about like buying and selling goods. But they have um, like a little small outdoor it's like half outdoor, half indoor market where they sell like foods and drinks and um, like touristy souvenir stuff. They have a couple like religious shops where you can buy um, like handmade rosaries and things like that as well. It's really beautiful. Um, I think that was probably one of my favorite parts, mostly just for the view, because when you get up there and you look out over the city, um, you can see all the colors of like the buildings in Bogota and you can see the differences between like the more developed areas of town and the smaller areas of town. And then you also just realize how huge Bogota is. It's a lot bigger than you realize at first. Okay. Can I just ask a, a point of clarification? You said there were yeah. seven stations of the cross and my experience is oh. 14. Um, I guess it is 14. Okay. Cause um, I didn't know if there was maybe a, a that was, specific to Columbia um but yeah no I think you're right it's 14 I always get that confused because I'm not Catholic so I messed that up but yeah you're you're correct it is 14 okay um well and I also I, I was looking up there's a, a great website um atlasobscura.com mm -hmm. and this is on the Travel Nuggets website uh but I looked up Montserrat Sanctuary and I, I believe it's a, a shrine so it says uh, to your point about is it a chapel or a church the history of the sanctuary, or a cathedral, I think you had said, um, it, and this is a quote from that website I just um, referenced, the history of the sanctuary of Monserrate dates back to 1640, when permission was granted to build a hermitage atop the mountain. The small chapel was dedicated to the Virgin Morena de Monserrate in mm -hmm. homage to a similar sanctuary, which stands today in the mountains of Barcelona, outside Barcelona. And um, the new church, there's a new church there, Neo-Gothic, that was completed in 1925. So I think there's a, some old and some new architecture up there. Yeah, that, I, that's probably, probably correct. Um, the chapel itself... Um, like it looked a little older on the outside, but there were parts on the inside were definitely modern. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, that, um, your description of the views of the city and being able to really take in the whole landscape reminds me a lot of Rio de Janeiro, where I just was, um, it just going up the top. There's so many mountains around the city and getting to the top and being able to really take it all in is just, um, it's breathtaking, and it's also so interesting to see the different neighborhoods and the different high-rises and um, truly see the the quilt that makes up that city. Um, you had mentioned another neighborhood called La Candelaria. Is that how I say it? Candelaria. It's La Candelaria, so like kind of like a candle. <laughs> okay. I think it's like the best way to remember it. Um, yeah, it's one of the more uh, touristy districts. It's where uh, La Plaza Boulevard is, and that's historically been one of the like main uh, squares for um, some of the like, political buildings, some of the more historical architecture. Um, and it's also very popular with tourists because they have some of the like, they often have 
like concerts and things like that out in that square. Um, it's, there's like a neighborhood leading up to it. The best comparison I can think of for like the architecture is it reminded me a lot of the French Quarter of New Orleans. Oh, interesting. Where the streets are really small. They're more like a little more cobblestone. Um, and some of that like older um, colonial architecture, but like Hispanic instead of French. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of similar to that. But then that neighborhood all kind of leads up to the big Plaza Boulevard, which is like this open, just like an open square plaza. There's a, a statue in the center and then it's got major um, I think there, I don't think the government buildings are still there currently. Like I think they're housed in different parts of the city, but historical government buildings are all there. Um, and it's a really beautiful area. I think if I could do it again, I would go on a different day. So um, one of the things we learned kind of by happenstance while we were there, and I can't say it applies all year, but we went during, uh, summer for the northern hemisphere and what would be like winter for the southern hemisphere and um while we were there um we were there for about 10 days so sundays in bogota um are apparently like big festival days so like they that's when they do a lot of the the festivals and events and things. And that's also one of the biggest touristy days, I suppose, because it's the weekend. And so that's just when people are available to travel most often. Um, and so it was really crowded um, when we went and you could really feel it. Um, but there were a lot of like little local food shops and restaurants. Um, we went to a local bookstore. Um, it wasn't like a small local bookstore. It was like a their version of a chain bookstore. It was affiliated with the university. Um, I think it was the Bogota, University of Bogota. Uh, there, um, did you say the our version of a what bookstore? I, I wouldn't say it's like a, a small local bookstore. Um, it, it would be more like a Barnes and Noble oh, kind okay. of store, but instead of but it was affiliated with the local University of Bogota. Okay. Um, so it was like their publisher and and their um, bookstore. Parts of Bogota shut down major roadways on Sundays, and all of the street vendors congregate on those roadways. And so, where you would normally have cars, they've shut it down, and only bicycles and walking can go through. And they have a lot of people like out with their mats and their goods to sell. Um, it's anything from like Marvel superheroes to handmade beaded jewelry. Um, and I think there had to have been at least a million people on the, ro wow. the main roadway between La Soledad and Condelaria. Um, it was a very, very, very busy <laughs> roadway that day. Um, so if I was gonna make any recommendations to someone who wants to go to like La Condelaria or some of those more tourist, like really touristy areas that are um, in, in that part of the city, don't go on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> go on like a weekday <laughs> It'll okay. be less crowded now are all of those other you you mentioned some other tourist sites and I want to um talk about those in in detail but uh are they all Museo de Oro Museum of Gold um the National Museum and um Simon Bolivar was he he was born in Colombia correct um I don't think Bolivar was born in Colombia I'm not entirely sure but he has a house there okay. um and Bolivar was um, a liberator, like part of the independence movement for several Latin American countries, including Bolivia and Colombia. So he has a lot of connections and they all kind of, 
I think, claim him. Oh, he was born um, in but, Venezuela. Sorry. That was yeah, but he did have a house there. So, um, and we found that kind of by happenstance, we were going to the National Museum. And when we were on our way out of the National Museum, we were walking along and we saw signs for it. And so we just walked over. It was only a couple dollars to get in. Um, and it's, it's his house that he had in Bogota. And so it's this it's not huge, but it's a fairly large complex. There's like a big wall around it. And he has these just beautiful gardens and then a small house. And the house itself is built, is very, is open air um, in a museum. And they did have both um, Spanish and English explanations of the like different museum parts, which was very helpful because there are some historical words that I just cannot figure out what they are in Spanish. Yeah. So the English part was very helpful, but they had the different rooms set out and they explained different parts of the room rooms. One of the things that they had at his house museum that was really fascinating is he had this sword that he used, you know, during his campaigns as a liberator for many Latin American countries. And there's this like interesting history where at one point during the heyday of like the FARC, they stole the sword mm -hmm. um, and they had it for a long time. And during the peace, I guess like the peace accords that Columbia had, they uh, managed to obtain it back. And so now it's at the museum, um, which I just thought was a really interesting tidbit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the gardens were probably my favorite part of that museum because uh, my husband really likes flowers. <laughs> so he likes to take pictures of flowers and, I wish I knew the names of the flowers, but they just had a lot of very beautiful tropical flowers. Despite it being a colder month for them, they still had a lot of flowers and um, herb gardens and things like that. And so we just wandered the garden a lot. There were a couple statues dedicated to Bolivar and the various countries that he freed. Um, and then up further in the gardens, because the gar parts of the garden are on a bit of a hill, he had like a separate bathhouse, um, which looked like I guess what for us would be maybe like a hot tub, <laughs> but it was like separate from the house and um, that it, you could stand on top of it and kind of see over the walls of his house and look around to like the neighborhood around his house. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so the other, um, could you talk about the other, you know, museums that you mentioned yeah. and if they're, if they're worth stopping in to? Yeah. So the national museum is, it's just kind of a museum of the history of Colombia, And so it has a little bit of everything. Um, it talks about the different, they have a part that talks about the different ethnic groups that make up Colombia, their different histories. Um, you learn a little, it talks a little bit about how Colombia became a country. There are parts in there about um, their history with like advertising in the modern era and TV. Um, they have one part that focuses on like their TV stations and how that's changed over the years. I think my favorite part though of the National Museum was that they had um, like a section towards the back that had a lot of like sculptures. They had both like ancient ones that they'd like dug up, you know, like pottery and things like that. But they also had some that were like from more modern Colombian artists. Um, and those were really beautiful. Um, and then the Muse Museo del Oro, which is the gold museum, um, is closer to the La Candelaria district. So just to give kind of a geographical layout, in La Soledad, we were thin, I don't know, like 15 minute 
20 minute walking distance from the neighborhood and part of town where the National Museum is and um, Bolivar's home. But then if you walk another like half hour or so, you get closer to La Candelaria and near that part of town is where the Gold Museum is. Um, and the Gold Museum is basically what it sounds like. It's, it's the history of gold in Latin America and Colombia. And it talks about not just gold, but they also talk about um, copper. And then um, I cannot for the life of me remember what it's called, but they have um, in the like ancient days, they had this kind of alloy of gold and copper that they would use for a lot of their art and religious sculptures and like building and tools. And so it takes you through some of that like indigenous history. Um, and they have this one really neat exhibit because um, it talks about um, El Dorado. So those like legends of the city of gold. And they talk about how um, some of those legends came about. And there's this one exhibit where they bring you into this big dark room and they play like sounds of water and they explain the, um, the religious rituals that became the story of El Dorado. So like there was this uh, tribe and gold and copper were a very big part of their, um, their, I guess, art and work as a, a tribe way back when during the like colonial days. And they had this big lake that they would throw it into, like throw these things into as like a religious ritual to appease the gods. Um, and so in this room, they kind of replicate that so that the, the, the floors are glass and they're lit up and it's made to look like you're underwater. And they have all these different pieces that they've recovered from that lake of gold and copper that they have on display. It was a really interesting and powerful exhibit. But I definitely recommend it. It sounds kind of strange at first, like why would I want to go to a museum about gold? But they have some really wonderful pieces that they've um, that the archaeologists have dug up in Colombia and they do a really good job of just kind of telling the story of gold's history in Colombia. So tell us about this salt cathedral. Yeah so one of the fun things that we did when we went on our trip to Bogota is we actually took a trip outside of the city to an area called Zipaquira which I'm pretty sure is like another state or province maybe another county I'm not entirely sure how the system works in Colombia, but it's it's outside of Bogota. And so um, since that's further than we could walk, we hired a taxi. Um, one of the things that was recommended to me by a friend who um, is from Colombia is when you're in the, the country, they do have Uber, but it's not actually legal. So it's better to just take a taxi. And I found that the best and like easiest way to do that was to just order a taxi through your hotel. That way, you know that you're, you're getting someone safe and reputable. Um, our taxi driver also took both um, American dollars and the like local pesos type um, Colombian money. So you, you, you have that option. Um, and so we took a day trip outside of Bogota to Zipaquira um, which is an area where they have mining. And so there were, it's a mountainous area, just like it is in Bogota. But in this area, they have a salt mine. And this salt mine um, had been um, historically used for the mining. But then as the miners went on in their process of mining it, and towards the end of the mine, they turned it into a cathedral. And on our way over there, um, 
we had to get our tickets. So um, we actually, our taxi driver took us into this little town just outside of where the mine is at like the base of the mountain. And this town, it, it was just a strange experience because normally when I think of like getting a ticket for a tourist attraction, you think of like a ticket stand at the tourist attraction. But in this area of Zipakira, the taxi driver had us go to like a butcher shop. And I can only assume from my understanding of his interactions with the butcher shop that a lot of these like local restaurants and businesses have tourist deals set up with taxi drivers who bring tourists to them and they cut of whatever you buy. So we bought our tickets from for the salt mine from a butcher shop. And while we were there getting our tickets, he like passed us some meat on a plate through the window, (laughs) (laughs) which was the most bizarre thing for me, like as an American, but it was so good. It was like barbecue meat. It was like barbecue. So it was like, there's some pork. I think there might've been some beef, but it was mostly pork, like off of like, they, they were like roasting a pig basically (laughs) um, and doing like various kinds of barbecues. So I think there was like some ribs and a little bit of like pulled pork and it was really good. So then you you drove up to this, and I was reading a little bit more about this chapel under in in the salt mine. It's six hundred feet underground, yes. and it f- took four years to sculpt what was inside of it. It opened in nineteen ninety five. Um, so take us through um, the the very beginning to, and and how you you get down there. Yeah. So um, after we you know stopped and got our tickets at this little butcher shop, we, we drove through the rest of the town to the, the mountain where the mine is. And you take this like mountain road up to the top of the mountain um, to where the, the park is, I suppose. And they have a spot where you can like park your taxis and your buses. And our driver dropped us off. And my um, husband and I went into the park and they had like the traditional place where you would expect to buy tickets. And then they have just like a gate that you go through. And since we had already gotten our tickets from the butcher shop in town, <laughs> we went on straight to the entrance and gave them our tickets and went to the entrance of the cave. And basically they had like a long, very wide pathway and it goes down a bit of a hill to what looks like a cave entrance. And it was similar to really any other cave I'd been to. So outside the weather was probably like in the low seventies that day. It was a pretty warm day compared to the rest of the trip. Um, but like once you walked into the cave, like most caves, it was pretty cold, um, a little moist. So it was probably like in the fifties, like Fahrenheit um, temperatures. And they had options for both like audio tours and guided tours. And this was probably the only place during my entire trip that I heard English speakers there. So I think that was largely because it's a tourist area and one of the bigger tourist areas. Um, in Colombia, so they have the audio tours, which I think were only in Spanish, and those are like you see at museums where you have like the little pre-recorded stuff with like a headphones, and then they had guides, and so they offered us an English-speaking guide, so we had an English-speaking guide take us on this tour, and when you first walk into the cave, it's like this dark tunnel 
and it has like the support systems holding the walls up and the ceiling up and all along the wall are these like white crystals which our tour guide explained are salt and the fun part is it's completely edible and so we were actually encouraged to take chunks of salt off the wall and like lick it for taste so that was a very fun and interactive experience in the salt mine well other than licking the walls um was it a pretty (laughs) reverent feel to the whole experience were people kind of quiet or you know i know when you at a saint patrick's in new york for example or Mm -hmm. um even you know notre dame in in paris it can feel a little like a museum where people have their coffee and are talking and um it kind of like Mm -hmm. ruins the reverent feel to everything like what was the ambiance well i would say that the first half of my experience in the mine was pretty reverent. So the, the trip down into the mine. So like you said, it's, it's several hundred feet underground. So as you're going into it, you're going downhill the whole way until you get to the main cathedral part and then you exit uphill. But the whole walk down is, um, a very, I would say a fairly large sized like pathway carved out of the stone, Um, It's dark. It's quiet. The only parts that are really lit is like a small strip along the walkways. And then um, as you walk down, you have carved out stations of the cross. So all 14 stations of the cross on both like your left and right side as you walk down um, are labeled with the number for the cross. And they had the um, Ave Maria playing the entire time I was there. I'm not sure if they always play the Ave Maria, but that's what they had playing the day I was there. And it was on like a loop. And for me, I felt like it was a very somber and reverent experience. Um, You know, other than the fact that I had a tour guide guiding me through and giving me the history, um, that portion of the mine was much quieter, um, very dark. And um, you really had that, that sort of like religious reverence that you could feel that the miners had put into the, their carving of these stations of the cross. So each station of the cross had, um, was like a portion where they had been mining salt. So they have like these little stairs that go into a bit of a dip. And then they'll have like a couple different kneelers that they'd carved out of stone where you can like kneel to pray. And then a big cross statue, probably about as tall as I am. So at least five, five and a half feet tall of like the marble and salt from the, the, the mine itself. And then behind that, just like a big, dark, deep cavern that you really can't see where it ends because it's so, so big and dark. And that was where they would over, were originally mining. So that whole first portion, walking down into the main cathedral space was very reverent. Um, however, after you get out of the cathedral space, there is, um, like a bit of a buzz, a bazaar almost where they have like the shopping and all that sort of stuff. And that was much louder. There were lots of neon lights and people trying to sell you stuff. And um, while we were there, it was apparently fashion week. So they had a lot of models that were all like lined up being prepared to do like a catwalk <laughs> in the middle of the, the cave in the cathedral. So it was kind of a strange juxtaposition for me having just come from the part that was really like reverent and prayerful to like, fashion week basically (laughs) and as you walk down the pathway which is just like the the stone pathway of the cave um on 
both sides of you, like sometimes it'll be on the left, sometimes it'll be on the right. You'll come to these areas that are carved out where you'll have like a few steps down and then um, stone kneelers that have been carved into the stone. And then they'll have like a big cross. Um, and then they've, they've built in some lighting to illuminate the crosses. But then behind those crosses is just like big black cavern. It's so dark, you can't see, it goes very far, very deep where they used to do the mining. And um, so each one's a different station of the cross and you follow it down. And when you get to, I'd say it's probably about a mile walk maybe, um, you, and you're going down the whole way. So you're going down into the cave. Um, you get down into the main part of the, the cave, the mine, and they've turned it into this really big um, open space. So they've got like a huge area carved out and they've built um, an altar out of some of the, the marble and stone. I think some of it was imported from Italy and some of it was local from the mine. And they've actually um, been consecrated in the Catholic church. Um, so they do occasionally hold actual like mass services there. Um, but they have a variety of different sculptures of like angels and the nativity. And um, I was reading those are all in salt. Those statues yes. are all carved out of salt. Yeah. Well, yeah, most of them are. There were a couple that our guide explained were um, done from sandstone. So they were, they were similar to salt, but they were um, done believe he said by an Italian artist so that a few of them were done by local artists uh, particularly salt ones but then a couple of them were sandstone and done by like an Italian artist that came in um, but most of them are carved from like the salt in the mind the mine um, and they just depict like different um, religious figures and scenes uh, and they're very very beautiful um, and they have one in the main cathedral um, that is actually like carved into the floor. <laughs> so you're like walking along the floor and then there's like this big open like hole in the floor and there's a salt um, sculpture in the middle of the floor. <laughs> so those were all very beautiful. Um, I think one of the, the things that I found to be a little strange, but I guess it's like this in most touristy places you have like this religious place, kind of like a Monserrate, and then next to it, you have very touristy, like um, consumeristic shopping. Yeah. So as you exit the cathedral, you have to go back uphill. And the way back uphill takes you through like this little shopping district. And a lot of it is like, you can buy jewelry and, and things like that. Or um, what we did, we bought a little salt carving. Um, we got a little cross that we kept. And then we got a little, uh, salt turtle for my mom because she loves turtles oh so, <laughs> so I oh sorry oh you're fine I was gonna say I actually found several um video tours of mm -hmm. Salt Cathedral and I'm gonna post them or they are posted up on the Travel Nuggets website now oh, exciting yeah no so that's that's um it really takes you through it's just so dark it is very dark but in a very um I'm not like it seems like a very solemn experience. Yeah, it was very soothing and solemn for me. It's it's a bit strange, like I was saying, because they do have like this very somber um, walk through the 14 Stations of the Cross and then you get to the cathedral. And that whole way is like pretty dark, except for the lights around the different, the different cross sculptures for the stations. Right. And um, it's much more quiet and they have like some 
um, very quiet religious music playing. I think when we were there, it was the Ave Maria pretty much the whole time. Um, I don't know if they ever rotate it, but the whole time we were there was the Ave Maria. Wait, was it live or it it was a recording? It was a recording like that they played over speakers. Um, But it definitely sets a mood, like a very quiet, prayerful, kind of thoughtful mood. Um, But then after you get through the cathedral part and you're going to head on the way out, you get to the like shopping center. And it's just very strange because it was it was much more um, of those like bright flashing lights and like neon (laughs) colors and like people hawking their wares. And when we were there, I guess it was fashion week because they were having like a big fashion show and there were a bunch of models like lined up in the hallway that we had to walk around because they're doing fashion week in the middle of a cathedral. So it's a very strange juxtaposition because you start out and it's very solemn and quiet and thoughtful. And then by the time you get to the end and you're on your way out, it's like this very loud, like marketing based, like fashion week event. (laughs) So it was a very interesting experience. Um, I really enjoyed the Salt Cathedral. I definitely recommend it, especially if you want to get out of the city. Moving back to Bogota, one of the... um, elements that you really light lit up about when we were talking um, earlier is the food. So tell us about what you ate in Bogota. But in our neighborhood close to our hotel, um, our favorite place to go was um, La Panaderia Karen. And so Karen's Bakery, basically. And these are really popular all over Bogota and I I believe just all over Colombia. But basically they have little bakeries and you go in, you can get coffee or breakfast, um, bakery goods. Sometimes they have like convenience store snacks too. Um, I had a lot of cappuccinos. They were very, very delicious cappuccinos. And I'm not normally a coffee person. So I'm like saying this from a perspective of someone who's not usually drinking a lot of coffee, but their cappuccinos were fantastic. and then we would get um, some Wait, of their what breakfast was so items. fantastic about them? Like, why were they different? I don't know. I think just the quality of coffee. So Colombia, um, along with a lot of other like Latin American countries like Brazil, where you were, are big coffee exporters. And so they just have higher quality coffee than we do in the States a lot of times, um, especially when you're getting it local and it's fresher. Um, so it was just, it was just really good coffee. <laughs> um, but they also did, and I wasn't expecting this, but they, they, they do like, um, rice and fried eggs was what I had a lot for breakfast. And then, um, they had a couple different like egg dishes that had like, um, peppers and vegetables and cheeses and stuff that my husband was really into. One of the popular ones that I saw, um, was they had like tamales a little different than like a Mexican tamale where it's wrapped in like a corn husk. These were like wrapped in um, like green leaves. Um, but the, the, the stuff on the inside was fairly similar, a little less on the corn, like maize cornmeal side that they have in the Mexican tamales and more of like the meat and veggies, but it was kind of a similar idea. Um, but my favorite part of these bakeries was the baked goods. So they have a lot of like the traditional breads like croissants that you would see in most bakeries but they also had um, some like local things and the one that we really loved the most were the bunuelos and they're basically these like little tiny fried donuts they look kind of like donut holes maybe a little bigger they're crispy on the outside and very soft on the inside 
and they're made with cheese. And like, you wouldn't notice it because there's not like a cheese filling, but they like incorporate the cheese into the batter. Um, and it's like a very light, sweet cheese. So it doesn't taste cheesy like a cheddar, but it, it's kind of like a, like a white cheese. More sweet than savory. Yeah, more sweet than savory. Very delicious. Um, they are best eaten hot. So I would not recommend holding on to them if you buy some. We tried buying some and eating them later. They were not as good. Definitely the sort of thing you want to eat hot. <laughs> um, but then they also, in Colombia, I think one of our favorite parts, especially my husband, because he's not big on sweets like I am. I've got a huge sweet tooth, but he just loves more like natural sweets. And they are really big on fresh fruit juice. So pretty much everywhere we went, had a huge variety of fresh fruit juice. They also sell more like boxed fruit juices that you wouldn't get in the States. So like in the States, you'll get like a high C or you'll get like orange juice or apple juice or something. But they also do things like blackberry juice and like little kitty sip, sippy cup boxes. Um, and that, it's really good, surprisingly. Yeah, uh, they, it's just straight blackberry juice. Yeah, I found that in Brazil too. You know, when we stayed in a hotel, the breakfast in the morning would have this very beautiful lineup of um, yeah. juices, like the different colors in clear pictures. And it was like pinks and purples and oranges. It's and, so bright and colorful. Yeah, <laughs> they were so beautiful. So I, of course, had to try all of them. Yeah, and they did that at our hotel. Our hotel actually had an option where you had, you could pay a little extra to have like breakfast and dinner included. So they did that, but um, both the um, the bakery near us, but also um, one of our favorite like little, I guess it's a fast food joint. They weren't, they were kind of local. It was like an indoor outdoor situation and it was um, called Asadero Trentidos, which is basically like this little outside, outside like food kitchen on the corner of um, 32nd Street and um, Caracas Avenue. This is one of the bigger streets in that area of town. And they had just like this little portion of the restaurant that was dedicated to the baked goods and the fruit juice. And they had um, some of the best fruit juice. I always got like the guava with milk because you could either get the fruit with milk or with water. My husband was really into the passion fruit, but they had like papaya and I think they had dragon fruit, lychee, strawberry, banana, like traditional stuff, but also tropical things you don't get in the States very often. And then they also had um, the empanadas and arepas, which were two of my favorite foods that we ate that were like more local. Um, And they were a little different, I think, than the empanadas or arepas that you'd get in other Latin American countries. So like I've had Venezuelan arepas before at like a Venezuelan restaurant in DC and theirs were more like, like meat sandwich pockets. These were like corn patties or like corn cakes that were filled with like that sweet white cheese and you'd like bite into them and you'd like pull out like big strings of cheese. Oh, wow. Um, They're really good. I could have just lived on those forever. Definitely my favorite. And then the empanadas we're pretty similar, I think, to like Mexican ones, um, where you have like the fried dough, it's kind of like a, like a hand pie. And then in the middle, you've got like either chicken or beef. Uh, my favorites were the chicken and they, they have um, just like chicken and like peppers and things like that. The best part that I would recommend is they'll give you, like if you get the empanadas, they'll give you this little cup of like green salsa. I think it's called ahi. 
Um, and it's basically like cilantro and garlic and like peppers maybe. And it's just a tiny little cup, but if you pour it on the empanadas, it just makes a world of difference. It adds so much more flavor and depth to the empanada. So those were two of our favorites. And then another food item that we had that I forgot to mention earlier um, was in the town outside of Zipa, the Salt Cathedral in Zipakira. When we were, um, we stopped for lunch before going to the cathedral and our taxi driver dropped us off at this local restaurant in the middle of this little town outside of the Salt Cathedral. And we had um, what they call a parriata platter, which is basically like, you know how in the States, if you go to like a Tex-Mex restaurant, they have like fajitas on one of those little grill plates. Yes. Well, it was similar to that. So like you have those like grill plates and they bring it out to you and it's just like this huge array of meats. And my husband can, can eat a lot, or at least a lot more than I can. And he could not finish the whole thing by himself. We definitely ordered too much food. So we took some to go. But this, this pariata platter had ribs and chicken and a couple different kinds of sausage. One of the sausages was like a meat and rice mixture that was really good. And it had um, their version of French fries as well. And it was probably, I, I know it was his favorite meal, the whole thing. And if you're a meat lover, like very much, a carnivore that was the best option for sure and they were those were very popular um in that area like people were just coming and going out of that restaurant non-stop so definitely look for like the pariatas the arepas and the buñuelos and the fruit juice is there anything else you want to add about bogota um i would just say to anyone that's thinking about going to a latin american country um definitely consider bogota and colombia um a the history and the fear cocaine and drugs um, left behind is really a part of the past now. Um, it's a much safer country than I think Americans think it is. Um, a very good, safe country to visit. A lot of fun, good fresh food, very affordable. And um, the people are so very nice and very patient with Americans for Spanish. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely worth your, your consideration if you're thinking about going to a Latin American country. Well, thank you so much for sharing your, your story and your experience with us. Thank you so much for having me, Christine. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Travel Nuggets. I'll post more information about this episode, including helpful links on the Travel Nuggets website. Please visit travelnuggetspodcast.squarespace.com. There, you can check out additional episodes or download them wherever you get your podcasts. And I'd love to hear your feedback and ideas. Email me at travelnuggetspodcast at gmail.com or join the Travel Nuggets Facebook group to share your thoughts and ideas. See you next time. Thank you.